Good morning, Church at Home. We come to you on this unique Good Friday morning from our homes. And although we can't be together at Christ Church Midrand this morning, isn't it wonderful that we can still gather together in spirit and that we can worship our Lord and Savior together? Please would you consider standing and assuming the posture you would normally assume at church and encourage those around you to sing too. We're singing two songs this morning. First, a song that reminds us that even in times of great difficulty and suffering, that God is good. And secondly, that we worship a man of sorrows familiar with suffering as someone who has gone before us and who has conquered the grave. So let's sing together.
And uh, welcome to this Good Friday edition of Church at Home. It is great to be gathered. We're not gathered uh, in the flesh. We may not be gathered in the flesh, but we are certainly gathered in spirit. And uh, we're going to spend some time this morning really meditating on the cross of Christ and our Father's goodness to us in Christ. So I'm going to open with a short word of prayer and then I'll hand over to uh, Panganai who will lead us further in prayer. Won't you pray with me? Uh, Father, we are so thankful to you this morning. Uh, it is, in fact, a somber morning for us as we consider uh, what our Lord Jesus had to bear and the price he had to pay. And, uh, and yet it's mixed feelings, Lord, as we rejoice in the victory that he won. And, Lord, we pray that you will make these things, these, these deep and profound realities, um, very real to us this morning that we will experience them, that we will um, rejoice in them together, uh, even as we are apart from one another in our own homes. So please will you be at work by your Spirit, uniting us in Christ. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Panganai. I'm going to be leading us in prayer. May you join us uh, in the prayer of Psalm 95. Let's pray together. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. May we continue in prayer as I do lead us in prayer. Almighty Father, as we are in this Easter period, would you look graciously upon us, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to suffer death upon the cross, and he now reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help us to receive the free gift of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ? Would you soften our hearts and make, make us consider you seriously? Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to be members of your holy church. Would you bless the fellowship of the global church and more specifically the fellowship of the Reformed Evangelical Anglican Church of Southern Africa. Would you bless its bishops, its ministers, and all those are in authority. Help us to be sincere and obedient Christians. And may we be the salt and light of the world, and so be faithful witnesses of you. Especially during this time, whereby the brokenness of this world is there for everybody to see, as our world is grappling with co- COVID-19. And as we go through this difficult time, Lord, would you help us realize that you are still seated on your throne, the fact that you are in control of everything. And Lord, would you remember those who are sick in body and mind, the poor and the lonely, and those who are in distress and despair, especially those who are struggling uh, because of COVID-19. We pray for those that are mourning uh, the loss of loved ones, that, Lord Jesus, you may comfort them. Heavenly Father, would you be with our preacher, Royden? May you enter him with clarity of speech and clarity of mind, and would you help us to take your word seriously and so respond appropriately. To the glory of your name, I do pray. Amen. We come now to the offering. So let me share with you why it's important that we give to God's work. If the Lord has saved us and rescued us, we give back to him in thankfulness for his grace and his mercy. And we give so that the gospel may continue to be preached. The gospel may go out here in Midrand, in Gauteng, and wherever God has opened doors for us as a church. Now, there are, three, there are three ways in which you can give this morning. You can either give through EFT, and many of you have do, been doing that for, for many months or many years. If you haven't been giving through EFT and would like to, please go onto our website, and you will find details there uh, of how to give by EFT. You may also, another option may be that uh, you may have a small family, small children, and you may want to teach them about giving, and you may want to take an envelope and uh, ask them and uh, to put their offering into that envelope. And when we n- next meet again, you can 
bring it through to church. The third option is on the screen there is a snap scan and if you download the app then uh, you will be able to give uh, through the snap scan as well. Today's Bible reading will be taken from Luke 18 verse 9 to 14. Luke 18 verse 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for every one who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of God. Thanks so much, Panganai, for those prayers, and Sam uh, for that reading. What is Christianity all about? What does it mean to be Christian? I think if we added that question to uh, the next national census, the vast majority of people would answer that Christianity is about trying to live a good life. Christianity is about being good. Christians believe that there are good guys and there are bad guys. And the bad guys go to hell and the good guys go to heaven. That pretty much sums it up. Well, the good news is that we can test this uh, very common hypothesis because we have two stories. We're going to consider two stories straight from the Bible, which, as you know, is the Christian book. We have two stories, and in both of these stories we have a good guy and a bad guy. So let's have a look and see where they end up. Let's see if this prevailing view of Christianity is correct, if it's accurate. Story number one. Jesus himself tells the story, and it's a bit of a courtroom drama. In the story, there's, as I said, a good guy and a bad guy. The good guy is a Pharisee. He takes religion very seriously. He fasts twice a week. He gives 10% of all of his income to the church, right down to the last cent. The bad guy is a tax collector. He was a traitor. He would have been collecting taxes from his own people and then handing them over to the Roman oppressors. He was the equivalent of Mpimpi, uh, an apartheid spy, a collaborator with the apartheid government. And we know what the community at large would have done if they could only get their hands on him. The question Jesus poses throughout the story, without ever actually explicitly asking it, is this. Who is justified? Who will come away acquitted by the court? Who is right with the judge? Every movie you've ever watched says it has to be the good guy. The shocking twist in this tale is that it's not the good guy. Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, 
the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. I tell you, the bad guy went down to his house justified, right with the court, rather than the good guy. How can that be? I mean, isn't that an enormous travesty of justice? Isn't this exactly what's wrong with our world? Good guys finishing last. How can it be? Let's have a closer look. It seems this verdict has a lot to do with how each man approached the court. Verse 13 says that the bad guy, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He enters a plea of guilty. More than that, he stands far off, he averts his eyes, he beats his chest in shame. And then he casts himself on the mercy of God. He offers nothing in defense, nothing in mitigation of sentence. He only pleads for mercy. The court hears his plea and he goes home justified. Contrast that with the good guy. The good guy stands by himself because he feels others are not worthy. He's in a category of goodness that deserves its own space. And then he thanks God that he is so much better than all these others. He thanks God not for anything God has done, but for all of the good things that he's done. In spite of all that, he goes home guilty. Why? Why is the good guy's goodness rejected by the court? Firstly, because it's a show. It's a sham. It's not real. It's an illusion. It is presented as perfectly consistent, but that's a lie. The good guy claims, I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But in different parts of Luke's gospel, Jesus exposes the religious leaders for exactly those crimes, extortion, injustice, and adultery. In other words, this good guy is pointing a finger at others while he's guilty of exactly the same crimes. He's a hypocrite. But there's an even bigger problem. Because even though he makes a big show of respect for the court, he treats the court with total contempt. How? Well, he judges himself. He declares himself innocent and others guilty. And that's why Jesus, verse 9, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The good guy sets himself up as jury and judge. He sets himself up as a, as a kind of a rival court. He totally undermines the authority of the sitting judge who happens to be God himself. Do you see why he goes home guilty? This is exactly how we treat God when we think to ourselves, you know, I'm not sure why I would need this God of the Bible. I lead a pretty good life. I haven't committed any crimes, or at least any major ones that I know of. I'm a loving person. You know, I, I enjoy a good party as much as the next guy, but who doesn't? I'm not a politician. I'm not a pedophile. I look after my friends and family. What's wrong with any of that? Even if all of that were true, even if your record were squeaky clean, you are still the reason Jesus tells this parable. Verse 9 again, 
he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you see that you are trusting in yourself? That's actually what you're doing. You've set up your own morality index with your score as the pass mark. Everyone beneath you is a bad guy and they'll get what's coming to them. They'll get what they deserve. Everyone above you is just a boring do-gooder. You know, the self-righteous types who think they're better than the rest of us. But you, you are right in the sweet spot. You are essentially the perfect human being. Good, but not too good. Good, but you still know how to have a good time. You still know how to have some fun. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, whenever anyone gets kicked off MasterChef Australia, I'm just going to take it for granted that you've seen the program. Whenever, whenever anyone gets kicked off, one of the judges, it's usually George, that's short guy, he says, you know, your cooking sucks and uh, you're going to have to go home. But don't worry, you are a wonderful human being. Now, two questions we have to ask of that. How do you know someone is a wonderful human being by watching them dice onions? And the second question, a wonderful human being by what standard? I mean, it can only be by my standard. And generally, you are wonderful if you meet my standard and anything upward of my standard. If you don't, well then, sorry for you. Your cooking sucks, you're going home, and you're not even a wonderful human being. Do you see how arbitrary it is for us to judge ourselves and to judge others? Do you see how offensive it is to God to trust in our own righteousness? You can't swagger into court at your own trial, look at the judge and say, Oi, Madala, take a seat in the gallery, I've got this one. It's not going to go down well. Better to own your guilt confess it, throw yourself on the mercy of the court and then look at how kind this judge is. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went home justified. But that raises another problem, doesn't it? How? How can he just go home? What about the things he did and said and thought? Does this judge does this God not care about justice so that a guilty man just gets to go home, go home to his wife and kids? That brings us to our second story. This story is also about justice and mercy. It also stars a good man. The only small difference is that this time there are two bad men. And the three of them have all been publicly executed in the style of ancient Rome. They've been nailed to a cross and then they've been hoisted up and left to die a humiliating death by suffocation. While they are waiting to die, this conversation ensues and it's captured for us in Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read from verse 39. Luke chapter 23, you can turn there if you have a Bible available to you. Luke chapter 23 and from verse 39. This is the conversation between three dying men. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? 
we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The good man is Jesus himself. The same Jesus who told the parable, the one we've just been looking at, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Only now he's not telling stories. Now he's struggling for breath. The first bad man attacks him verbally. He rejects him. But the second bad man sees something different. He sees the truth. And just look at the plea that he enters. Verse 41. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He enters a guilty plea. And then he throws himself on the mercy of the court. But how? On what basis can he possibly ask for mercy? On what basis can he possibly be forgiven? Look closely. Verse 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That comes immediately off the back of verse 41. This man has done nothing wrong. I don't know how much the criminal could have known or understood just by watching Jesus for those last few crucial, critical hours of his life. But the logic of his request is precisely what it should be. Jesus, I'm guilty. You are innocent. I could never be right with God on my own. But you, with you, I can be right with God. Let me come into your kingdom with you. And then probably my favorite words in all of the Bible, verse 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. A criminal on death row gets paradise. What did he do to deserve it? Nothing. By his own admission, I am getting what my deeds deserve. I deserve a cross. On what basis does he get paradise? Jesus. To be in God's presence, to be right with God, requires two things. It requires nothing bad and everything good. Why those two things? Well, because that's who God is. In him there is nothing bad. In him there is everything good. Jesus' perfect death deals with the bad in us. His perfect life supplies the good for us. Jesus' perfect death saves us from hell. Jesus' perfect death, perfect life sends us to heaven. At the cross of Christ, justice has been served. Jesus paid the penalty for all that is bad in you. All the bad in you, the penalty has been paid. Justice has been served. And so is mercy. God welcomes you into his presence on the basis of Jesus' perfect life. Jesus' perfect life and death make us right with God. So where does that leave you? In our two stories, there are two men who are not justified. There's one bad man 
the first criminal on the cross, the one who hurled insults, the one who rejected Jesus. He is a bad man. But there's also one good man, the Pharisee. Notice that both of them reject Jesus. The criminal does it openly in a last angry, bitter act of defiance against God. He shakes his fist. But the Pharisee is a lot more subtle. He does it by saying, I don't need God to judge me. I'll judge myself by my own standards. And by my standards, I'm a good man. In fact, I'm better than most. See you in heaven. He goes home guilty. The very striking thing is this. It's revolutionary when you get your mind and your heart around it. You can end up on the wrong side of God whether you are bad or good. You can go home in your guilt even if you are good. So please, please don't take any false comfort in the fact that you are better than most in your own estimation. That is a very, very dangerous place to be and it's certainly not Christian. Those are the men who are not justified, good or bad, bad or good, not justified. They go home guilty. But the men who are justified are both bad by their own admission. What do they say? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I am getting what my deeds deserve. The Bible is teaching us that to be right with God, you have to recognize your sin. And then you have to throw yourself on the mercy of of God. And then you have to trust not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. If you do, listen again to what waits for you. Truly I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Being a Christian is not about being good. It is about recognizing that you are bad and trusting in the only one who has ever been good. It's about trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and for eternal life in the paradise of God's blessed presence. That's always worth thinking about. But perhaps it's worth special consideration on this Good Friday in lockdown when all we have to do is think about our own mortality. Now is the time to throw yourself on the mercy of the court. There is no better time. Tomorrow never comes. Now is the time. And if you want to do that, if you want to throw yourself on the mercy of the court, well then just pray this prayer with me. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In Jesus' name, I ask that you will forgive my sin and accept me as your child. I know that I'm not good enough, but he is, and he died for my sin. And so I ask these things in his name. Please hear my prayer. Amen. Amen. It's been a wonderful privilege to uh, bring God's word to you this Good Friday. And I pray that it's a really blessed time for you and uh, for those in your household. I pray that meditating on the wonderful news of 
what the Lord Jesus has done, who he is, and what he's done for us in the cross. Uh, lift your spirits this Good Friday, and please make sure that you join us this coming Sunday as we celebrate his resurrection. Uh, I pray that it's a blessed weekend for you and for yours, and we will be back at church at home on church at home this coming Sunday. So please join us for that.